Jewish audio on Torah.org. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchis, the laws of Shainim neighbors, complex Torah laws, governing relationships between neighbors. And now we enter into a realm of halacha, which is discussed extensively in Mishnah and in Gemara Talmud, Baba Basra, and that is the idea of chazaka, an established pattern. The general principle is once I do something repeatedly, in some cases for three consecutive years, I've established my right to do it, and anybody who could have and would have objected would have done so already. So therefore, it's my right to continue to do so. A common issue in the laws of neighbors, it's a very common issue today as well. You're living a very wonderful life in a very, on a very large piece of property, and you have a beautiful house, and on the one hand, you're very close to the main drag. On the other hand, you look out the window, you see nothing. Complete privacy. All of a sudden, somebody puts up a house next door, <laughs> and their window is looking into your house, into your yard, into, you lost your privacy. It happens every day. Well, what is the halacha? This is the issue of chapter 7. When a person had a window in his wall, the wall has a window. Along comes his next-door neighbor and creates a new courtyard, which never was there. It was just wild area, and all of a sudden he developed a backyard. So the guy who just created his beautiful yard cannot say to the neighbor with the window, listen, mister, you're looking into my yard. I need privacy. Shut your window off. I want you to close your window. You have plenty of other windows in the house. You don't need to look into my new backyard. In order that you should not gaze upon me. Like we have here in our guest wing upstairs. We have three rooms for bar mitzvahs and so on and so forth. And then we have what we call the ocean view because it looks into the neighbor's pool. So that's the ocean view. So, uh, you know, people have ocean views. So you can't tell them, shut your window, close up your window so you shouldn't look at me. Because the guy with the window has had that window for a long time. He's already established his right of having a window. The fact that his neighbor now built a new backyard is not his problem. It's established. If the friend comes, now he wants to build a wall, blocking the window. Okay, you're going to keep your window, that's fine. I'm going to put up a wall to block your view of going into my backyard. In order to remove the damage done by his visibility. That's fine. You can build a wall in your property anywhere you want to, provided that it is four amos away from my property, six feet. Which is pretty consistent with the, with the, with the law here. That you, you can't build a house on top of somebody else's house. There has to be a space in between houses. Depends if we're talking about a side yard and so on. Could often be five or six feet. So once you're six feet away, four amos away, you can build a wall. Why do you have to move away four amos? Because four amos, or approximately six feet, is enough distance to allow light to come in. You can't cause darkness to surround the other guy's window. If you have an opening of four amos, or six feet, it's enough to bring light in. So what if the window was not high up in the wall, but lower, in the lower area of the wall? Now, the guy with the window can force the guy with the new yard to build a wall four amos away, and to raise it at least four amos. Why? Because here... The guy with the window had a window in the lower part of the structure. All of a sudden, there's a yard there. Everyone in his yard is going to be gazing into my window. So again, very interesting issue here. Where have I established my rights and where have I not? The fact that I had a window establishes my right. The fact that you now have a courtyard facing my window is something new. So you can't force me to close up my window because my window has been established. But you can build a wall as long as you give me my four amos, my six feet of space. So what if the window was higher up in the wall? And the fellow with the courtyard built himself a wall opposite the window, lower. So the wall is lower than the window. The window is pretty high up. So we're concerned now, I believe, that the guy is going to climb up on the top of his wall and he's going to gaze into his neighbor's window. So if the top of the wall has four amos or more by the time you get to the window of the neighbor, because the average person stands up, four amos is six feet, so no, you can't stop it. Even though he didn't really back away from the window at all. We said earlier you have to move away. Here, because he's not blocking the window, he's doing it on the boundary. Why? Because he's not opposite the window. He's not causing darkness. He's not moving, removing, he's not blocking the, sun, the, the, the daylight. And he's also not harming him by gazing into his window because the window is higher up. 
and we're not concerned with somebody climbing on top of the wall because there's four arms of space between the top of the wall and the window. If there is left height, from the top of the wall, until the window, less than four arms, less than six feet, so a person can climb there and actually see into the window because there's less than four arms from the top of the wall till the window. You can climb onto the wall and look into the other guy's window. The neighbor with the window can coerce the neighbor with the, lo- with the wall to make the wall a little lower. In order that it should not be possible for him to climb up on top of the wall and gaze into the window. So we have to drop it four amas below the level of the window. Hey, there's another solution. He should raise the wall over the window four amas. But if he does that, it has to be distant four amas, not to take his light away. In order that it doesn't make it dark, in order that he can't look in and see him. So these are the options. What if he builds a wall perpendicular to the window on the side? He has to move away from the window. And he raises the wall for Amos over the window. Or he brings in the head of the wall. We're again concerned about the fact that he's going to perch himself on the wall, gaze into his neighbor's window. What if the guy built two walls from two sides of the window? There has to be four Amos clear in between these two walls to let the daylight go in. The window in between the two. Very interesting thing in this building we are in where you have this part of the building that has a high ceiling. The other side, where the guest wing is, has a high ceiling. And in the middle, the lobby is lower. And you have a skylight in the lobby, which brings light in. But then you have actually windows in the guest wing which get light from that space in between. Why? Because the space is big enough to give light. And that's exactly what we're talking about. A space has to be big enough for light to come in. If it's not, it's a problem. And that's exactly what we have on the roof line here. Now, he should not cover over them. The word yasachach is like the word schach, covering, sealing. Over the two walls, unless he moved the covering from the wall, has a window, again. We don't want the daylight to be concealed. Because therefore, practically speaking, somebody is now coming to open a new window, which is going to gaze into his neighbor's courtyard, whether it's a large window, or a small window, whether it's higher, or it's lower, and you don't have chazoka, you haven't always had that window. You want to put in a new window, and suddenly you're going to be facing my backyard. The owner of the yard can say, uh-uh, I don't want you cutting a window into your house on this side. Now that's crazy. What does it mean? It's my property. I can't cut a window in? The answer is yes. You can't cut a window in. Now again, I, I apologize to those who are going to be learning with me on the internet, but those of you who are sitting here, the wall behind me, which we call the south wall of this building, all the way into the shul. How, many, how much window do you have on the south wall? The answer is nada, bunished. Because by the agreement, by zoning, because of our sensitivity to the neighbors on the south, who during the zoning process needed to double up their medication, and they were very verbal, the agreement was no windows on the south wall. They're not going to see, they're not going to hear. Boonish. That's an example of not being permitted to put a window in your private property. So windows are governed. You can't just wake up one day and say, I want to put a window into my wall. Really? But you're looking into my backyard. So these, these are these halakhas we're learning. They're actually fascinating. And if you've built and constructed and dealt with government regulations and so on, these are all very big realities in life. Again, Misha, somebody comes to open a window overlooking the courtyard of his neighbor. Whether it's a grande window, a large window, or a small one. Whether it's higher up, whether it's lower. The owner of the courtyard can prevent him from doing so. Because he can tell him, don't open a window into looking into my backyard. You're going to harm me with your ability to gaze into my backyard. This is, as we learned earlier, called Hezek Ria. Damage through visibility. Visual damage. I'm entitled to privacy. Or as they say in Australia, privacy. Even though the window is pretty high up. How is the guy in his house going to access that window? Well, that's his problem. Talib is He'll take a ladder. <laughs> the bottom line is, I don't want your window looking into my backyard. Why? Because you never had a window there before. You have no chazoka. You haven't established your right to do so. So in life, it depends what gets there first. Was the window there first, or was the courtyard there first? If somebody opened the window to the courtyard of his fellow, he opened the window. There is a courtyard. The neighbor cuts a window into his house overlooking the courtyard. Not supposed to. The courtyard guy can object. Did he object? No. Obviously, the owner of the courtyard just forgave the intrusion. It didn't bother him. He didn't say anything. Or not only did he not say anything, he made a statement. He says, this is great. Now you have a window in your wall. Wow. We're good neighbors. How do we know that he actually approved of it? He helped with the construction. The neighbor whose courtyard you're now looking into helped out to cut the window. 
He was very aware, very cognizant of the damage, and he didn't object. This is called establishing a chazaka, establishing a right, a right for the window. Why? Because there was an opportunity for objection, and no objection was lodged. So, let the record show, I've established my right to have that window. You can't come later one day, a year later, two years later, and you wake up and say, by the way, I just realized, you know, your window looks into my backyard. Every time I have a barbecue, you're standing there at the stakes. You can't wake up one day and object. Because it's been established that I have a right to have a window, you didn't object when you could have objected. Or you helped me construct it. So what's the deal? What is the halach of this window? Which he allowed it to open. Again, the deal is he could have objected, but he didn't. So it depends how big it is. If it's big enough where a human head can get into the window space, which means it's bigger than smaller, if it's not big enough, it's really small. Or it was lower than four amas. Even though the head does not go in. So these are two conditions. One condition is it's big, how big, for a human head to enter. The other condition is it's low. Or the question in the commentaries of the Rambam, do we need one condition or do we need both conditions? The courtyard fellow cannot build a wall opposite it or on the side of it by blocking off the light because it's a minor intrusion. Because it's low and small. Of course, if he moved away four amas, he can build any wall he wants to because there's enough space for light to come in. Zion, what if there was a really small window? This is actually rooted in the mission itself. Where the human head does not go in, it's so small. Or, or, and it was higher than four amas. Then the courtyard fellow can build a wall opposite it or on the side of it. Why? Because it's small. Because it's high. What about the fact that he allowed him to do it? He's able to say, You know why I allowed you to open a window? Because it's small and high. But I didn't mean that you should establish a chazaka, right? That I should have to remove my wall. I didn't do that because I could have objected to begin with. When does this apply? When he used, opened the window for utilization, practical purposes to use it. To get fresh air in. But if it was open for light, it was very small. Very high. Once he didn't object, he established the right. And the courtyard fellow can't build alongside it or opposite it a wall unless he's four amas away to allow light to come in. Because by not having objected earlier, he forgave the fact that the guy is allowing to have light come into his house and he is not objecting. Or so also if somebody had an established window, and his fellow neighbor came upon a connector and built opposite it. And he stood down to the side. Without distancing himself, four amas stomach, he closed it. And the window fellow was silent. He can't then wake up and object about the opening of the window or to distance the wall because silence means forgiveness. Normal people don't allow neighbors to block off their light and they're silent. They immediately lodge a complaint unless they have forgiven. Somebody had windows lower in the lower part of his, of his wall. So the fellow is looking into the neighbor's courtyard and the neighbor comes and he wants to build. So he says, what do you mean you want to build? You're going to block my windows. So the guy who wants to build, the neighbor says, don't worry about it. I, at my expense, will cut windows into your wall higher up. Let me build my structure. I'm volunteering to put other windows in at a higher elevation at my cost. Does the neighbor with the windows have to permit his neighbor who's going into construction to do so? No, he can stop him. Because he can tell him, I don't want you cutting windows into my wall. At the time that you start cutting windows into my wall, you're going to weaken the wall. You're going to rule the wall. One day we're going to wake up, the wall's going to fall down. Because when you cut a window into the wall, I mean, these days they have engineering and you got to go through. Plan check. But you know, all of a sudden you cut a window into a wall, you have to make sure you're not weakening the wall. So he says, do me a favor, I know you want to build whatever it is you're building, but don't cut windows into my wall. I feel all even if he said, you know what, you're right. You're right. It might weaken your wall. But I have a better idea. I need Esther Kowalke, so I'm going to demolish the entire wall. And I'm going to properly rebuild it from anew. I'm going to put in windows higher up. What do you mean you're going to knock down my wall? I live in the house. I'm going to get you a rental. Well, during construction. This guy's being a good neighbor. He's knocking down the wall. He's building a new wall. He's putting windows in a higher elevation. He's getting him a rental during construction. What else can you ask? You can still stop him. It's easy for me with my family to move from place to place. Move here, move there. I don't need it. So, 
the halacha says, and this is important, that if it's bothersome and troublesome, he has a right to object. But if it's not at all bothersome and troublesome, if it's a pretty easy process, then he doesn't need to move because he can live in that house while the wall is down. In that case, if he can, not stop him. Let the guy rebuild your wall. And we coerce the guy with the window to allow his neighbor to seal up his lower elevation window. Make a window higher up. Why? Here's an important principle. We learned this in Kippi because when somebody benefits and I don't lose and I stop the guy, this is what they did in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is just cruelty. One guy benefits and the other guy loses nothing, then you need to cooperate. You need to be a, a, a mensch. If you prevent someone from doing that, you're acting like Sodom and Gomorrah, where they were just hateful. And Jews are not permitted to do that. So therefore, if I can allow the guy to rebuild my wall without very much inconvenience to me, by all means, I should. And here the Rambam lays down the law. The chain and so also. Kol, dober, any act. Where one benefits tremendously. And the other loses nothing. There's no lack. You can force him to because you have to be a nice human being. You can't just be obtuse. You can't just be mean. Test nine, avo, but. is the owner of the windows. Different scenario. Now we're talking about the guy who owns the house with the windows. He decides he wants to redecorate. He wants to change the place of the windows. Whether he wants to go higher or lower. Even if it's bigger. And he says, You know what? I'm going to close up my bigger window, Mr. Neighbor with the courtyard, and I'm going to cut in a smaller window. Last name Zoo, and I'll close this. The courtyard guy can stop him. He certainly can't widen the window. Because the courtyard fellow has a right to determine where the window is looking into his courtyard. Because the owner of the courtyard may feel, he says here, that the new window will compromise his privacy more than the old one did. And finally, the closing halacha of this chapter. When you have two brothers who inherited an estate of their father. In the estate was a courtyard. They went and divided the courtyard with knowledge. They had a meeting and they divided it. They negotiated and divided it. They shomu and they appraised habinyan, the buildings in the courtyard. You know, him and the trees. You have to divide a whole entity into two halves. You have to have careful appraisal. What's in my half? What's in your half? How much square footage? How many trees? Yada, yada. One thing they did not take into account was open space. They carefully evaluated everything, but they did not evaluate open airspace. So, in the end of the day, one received the garden area of the courtyard. He's got a lot of fresh air, a lot of sunshine, a lot of sky. And you know, the other guy ended up with Sadra, a covered porch. He can never see the stars. Nobody calculated that, but that's the fact. So now the guy's coming and saying, you know, I've been guests over my house. We look for the North Star. We can't even see anything past the ceiling. Okay, if the owner of the courtyard wants to build a wall at the end of his portion, he can even build it up against the porch. Even though he's going to darken his porch area, and that's his light. Because in the division, they did not take into account light. But if they did a general division, then light is part of the equation of the general division, and therefore he would not be able to build a wall against this porch. Just a reminder as we close that these laws are discussed extensively in Mishnah and Gemara, Baba Basra, and the Rambam is organizing it as he does in a system of halacha. End of chapter 7. Rambam Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Shein and neighbors, Pedic Shemini, chapter 8. And again, these laws are dealt with in Baba Basra, in the Mishnah, in the Gemara, and so on. And the Rambam wraps it up in a system of halacha. We're learning about what type of intrusions one neighbor may impose upon another, what kind of defense there is from the neighbor who is affected, and what he can do about it. What rights a person has, what is the system of chazaka? Just because I do something for X amount of time, does it give me a right to continue to do it forever? Or does it not? And there are many components to these laws. What if you have a person who wants to build a projection, like a big hook or something, outside of his wall? Al Avir, the projection is hanging over the airspace, of his neighbor. even poquito, even a little bit. Again, he has a, a house which is on the property line, and he takes a, a pole, a pipe, a hook, and projects it out over the airspace of the neighbor. Now, what is the neighbor's right to object? Get your pole, get your hook out of my airspace. Baal the owner of the courtyard, me'akabal, can stop him. 
What's the objection? The objection is not so much that his hook or his projection is in his airspace. The projection, the objection is that when he goes to use it, he is violating the privacy of the neighbor by viewing his yard. Because obviously, whenever he's doing and hanging on that projection, he's overlooking the neighbor's yard and he sees everything. So that is the objection, and it's a valid objection. What if he placed that projection there and he protruded it into the neighbor's airspace? And the neighbor never objected, at least not immediately. So it's been there for a while. So the builder of the projection establishes it right to it because it's been there for some time and you didn't say anything. If you objected, you should have said something. So again, that's the idea of chazaka, of establishing a right. Now, sometimes a chazaka must be three years, but not every time. Sometimes it could just be for a few days, a month. Base two. What if the projection was a hand breadth wide? Because a hand breadth, which I think is 30, uh, 3.15 inches, if my memory serves me correct, a square hand breadth, 3.15 inches by 3.15 inches, is considered a space of significant size. So if it's a square of a handbreadth by a handbreadth, he establishes his right to use the airspace of the courtyard because it's substantial and it's out there. And once it's established that the fellow has a right to use it because it's been there and nobody objected, what if the neighbor now wants to come and build a wall up to it to make it not practical to use? He's just going to butt his new built wall up to this projection. The owner of the projectile has a right to stop the neighbor from building his wall in his own airspace because you're making my projection, my projectile, dysfunctional. But if it does not have that hand breath, he does not establish a right to use the airspace of the courtyard. Whenever the owner of the courtyard desires leave place to build tachtav under it to levatel and to nullify the practical application, the practical function of this projectile. A projection, the owner of this projection cannot stop him. So again, it depends on who establishes the rights and so on and so forth. What if it had the breath, the width of a tepach, a hand breath, and it is drawn into the airspace of the courtyard of his neighbor. He didn't object. The neighbor in whose airspace it is in never objected. This is establishing a right of four by four. And if he wants to therefore widen it until it is actually four hand by four hand breaths, he may because he established his right. And he cannot, the neighbor cannot build under it anything that would cause it to become dysfunctional. He leaves a space of ten hand breaths between whatever he's building and this projection. Ten hand breaths is enough to allow the guy to use this projection. Similarly speaking, when we're talking about a ladder, what if somebody has a ladder standing on his property line so that he can scale his own wall? He can get up to his roof or whatever. So the mission actually refers to something called a sulam mitzri, an Egyptian-type ladder, which is a small ladder. Amam it's sulam cotton. If somebody places a small ladder, what's the definition of a small ladder? What's big and what's small? I would say we have like a, a stepping stool, something we have in our home where we climb up to the upper shelves. The definition of a small ladder is it has less than four rungs, less than four steps, like a stepping stool, like, like the, the little ladder I have in my house to help us get up to the top shelves. This is called in the Mishnah an Egyptian ladder. The Tzad Kosle has this mini ladder next to his own wall, but in his neighbor's yard, because his wall is, is on the bar, on the boundary, on the property line. And the same goes for a field, if he, this ladder is in the neighbor's field. And this is the ladder that he uses to access whatever he has to access on his wall. This does not create an established right, because it's too minuscule to create any, establish anything. It's insignificant. Insignificant stuff don't create rights. Whenever the owner of the courtyard or field wishes to, he can build alongside that ladder of even if it makes the ladder dysfunctional. However, if it was a grande ladder, if it was a large ladder, what's the definition of a large ladder? Having four rungs, four steps or more. That's the definition of a large ladder. The missionary refers to it as not an Egyptian ladder, but a ladder from Tsur, from Tyre. T-Y-R-E. In Tsur, in Tyre, Lebanon. They had those kind of ladders. Hexity establishes his right, because I have a serious ladder there. That's, let's talk in modern terms. That's my roof access. If the neighbor wants to build something which will cause the guy's ladder to become dysfunctional, the owner of the ladder can stop him from building it until he goes far enough to allow the functionality of that ladder. Why? It's my yard. I can do whatever I want to bring it. I can't build something next to your ladder which is in my yard. The answer is yes, that's true. Because by virtue of the fact the guy didn't object, 
He allowed him to have that ladder there. And therefore, it's an established right. This is the idea of Chazaka. When the owner of the roof comes along to establish a large ladder, a guy needs roof access. His wall is on the property line, so he comes to put up a big ladder. So the guy in whose courtyard or field he's putting the ladder says, Wait a minute, what are you doing? Get that ladder at him. What, 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 what are you, a terrible person? No, the owner of the courtyard can object if he wishes to. Why? Because if he doesn't object, the guy is going to establish a right. And establish rights are forever. So you better object if it bothers you. I believe it's but if you put a small ladder, a step stool, what we call in the mission an Egyptian ladder, he can't prevent him. Because we say to him, you have nothing to lose from the fact that I have this small ladder there, less than four rungs. You have no loss here. You're not incurring any loss because I'm not incurring any right. And he writes, calls him on so whenever you wish, get you can remove it. Hey, the same goes for, and this is a reality in our world today, you have drains, you have gutters. What does the gutter do? We wouldn't know about it in Southern California because it never rains in Southern California. But when it rains, it pours. The gutters collect the water that drips off the roof, and then what happens to the gutter? It directs it into a drain pipe. And what happens to the water of the drain pipe? Well, if the drain pipe works, it feeds all the water to a place where it doesn't make a mess. That's the whole idea of a gutter system. And a drain pipe, you have a house that doesn't have gutters. You're walking by the house, you just have torrents of water falling all over your head. That's what the gutter accomplishes. So we have gutters and drain pipes. Now, the guy's, prop, the guy's house is on the property line. So where does the water from his roof? Where does the water from the drain pipe go? The answer is into his neighbor's yard. Okay, now let's talk about that. If somebody wants to put a drain pipe from his roof over the guy's courtyard, his neighbor's courtyard, why would he want to do that? Because that's where drain pipes are. That the water will flow. The only place it can flow into the yard of his neighbor. Or he made a gutter on his wall. In order that the gutter will guide the water into that drain pipe. So now your water coming into my yard. Do I have to tolerate that? The owner of the yard can prevent him and say, listen, you're a great guy, you're a great neighbor, I don't want your drain water in my yard. Figure it out. Put it in your yard. But if he did not object, if the neighbor did not say, get your water out of my yard, the fact that that gutter or drain pipe has been there, he establishes a right, and it can be there forever. Now what if the fellow wants to plug up the drain pipe? He has a better idea. He figured out where to put it. In fact, you know why he has a better idea? Because he wants the water. Why should his neighbor get the water? He wants the water. So he figured out a way to direct it to his property. The neighbor can stop him and say, hey, I like this water. You, can no, you can't just leave me without your drain water. I've been living off your drain water. I make chicken soup from it. What did we make? Here's a fascinating concept. The same way the owner of the roof established his right, Lishbech, to pour, to direct, name of his water, to the neighbor's courtyard, and it's an established right. So also the owner of the courtyard established a right, to have the water of his neighbor. For years I've been enjoying your drain water. You can't just leave me without it. It's my water supply. He has a right to object. He says you can't redirect your drain pipe. Fantastic. The owner of the roof decided to move his drain pipe from one corner of the roof to the other on the same side. Or it was very long, but also the contrary, and he wanted to shorten it. The owner of the yard cannot stop him because he's redirecting it, but it's still ending up in the neighbor's yard. It's all good. The established right is about the water of the drain pipe. It's not exactly where it comes. That's when it comes to it anyway. So also, if the owner of the courtyard wants to build something under the pipe, Suddenly you're going to build a structure under my pipe. The owner of the roof can't stop him. Because it's not like a projection which is made for use where if you build something under it. I can't use it. He doesn't have a right of the airspace of the courtyard. It's only made to drain water. You know, on a very personal level, we have a gutter like everybody else does in our home. And then we also have a pipe that leads from air conditioning condensation. I'm not sure they had air conditioning in the times of the Mishnah. And then we have somebody created a PVC pipe which puts the water into a little garden area in front of my house so the water doesn't flood the driveway, the condensation or whatever it is. And every time my grandchildren are there, they undo that PVC pipe. So it ends up in the driveway. So I have a job on Sundays to reconnect the PVC pipe. Now I'm a technical moron. I can't re- reconnect anything. But that's my own drain pipe dilemma. So I'm just sharing my personal problems because I can't afford a therapist. Okay. Vov, Misha hated. Where are we? Are we Vov? Zion? Okay. 
Let's try it off. What if somebody had water from his roof? Far onto the courtyard of his fellow of his neighbor. They didn't stop him. They established a right. If the water was dripping on a bunch of places. So the cops of the law say some scenery. He wants to collect into one place and to create a drain pipe. He has a gutter and he wants to create a drain pipe. Or he has water just dripping all over the place. He wants to bring it all together. They say he may make it. In other words, up to now, the water was just haphazard going where it went, and he wants to cause the water to flow in an organized way. From another place, he spread it across the width of the wall in order to cause it to flow. So he can do that because it's the same right. He can even build like a slanted canopy on his roof, causing the water to go quicker. The bottom line is, is that the right to cause my water to go into your yard was established. What if there's a property wall between Ruben's property, Mr. A's property, and Shimon's property? But if they were partners in this wall, we learned earlier that when there is a property line, they should both partner in the space as well as in the expense of the wall. So the two neighbors are partners in the wall. The question is, who can use the wall? The answer is both. If the guy wants to build something and use the wall as one of the walls of the structure, well, this neighbor, Ruben, can project and put his beams into the wall to build his structure. And Shimon can drill into the wall on the other side and put his beams in. Not a problem, because it's half Ruben's wall and half Shimon's wall. Ruben can use his side, Shimon can use his side. But if the wall belonged only to one of them, to Ruben, to Mr. A, it's his wall, yet it's on the property line. Shimon can use it as well, because the wall is on my property line. But what if Shimon dug into the wall? He drilled into the wall. has placed a beam in there for structural support for whatever he's building. Mishasak Ruben and Ruben, whose wall it is, was silent. He didn't object. He could have said, get your beam out of my wall. He didn't. Ruben establishes, I'm sorry, Shimon establishes the right for this beam. I feel like even if it was small, we learned earlier that small projections don't establish rights. Only large ones. Small ladders don't establish rights. Only large ones. And Shimon wants to exchange it for a thicker beam. He had a two by two there. And he wants to put in a two by four. He had a two by four. He wants to put in a bigger one. Machli, he can exchange it for something larger. Why? Because here, size is not that critical. What if the beam was there to build, for example, a temporary structure like a sukkah? For 30 days, he doesn't establish any right. Ruben says, I thought it was temporary. I didn't, I didn't just forgive you. I didn't just walk away and allow you to establish a right. But you know, you know why I didn't say anything? Because it was temporary. Once 30 days pass, he established a right. I think in our world, this is called the grandfather clause. You've established your right, you've been doing it for years, it's grandfathered in. Shane's all right, this is not just haphazard. What if it's a holiday sukkah? For the seven days of the holiday, he didn't establish anything. After the seven days, he does establish because sukkah is over. Now the neighbor allows the hubs to continue to stand. He must be okay. I should tell the story. Okay, so we, when I was a kid, we had a driveway with a neighbor in Newark, and this neighbor was an older woman who didn't have children. In fact, being that we're all friends and family here, I can tell you the truth. She hated children, and she could not afford therapy. So every time we, we had a large family, there were seven of us, every time the ball would fall into her yard or anything, would encroach upon her yard. She'd take the ball. We'd never see it again. We'd have to make a, a, a special cottage for the ball. Anyway, come sukkah, we built the sukkah in the driveway. There was nowhere else we could build the sukkah. That was the only open space. And every year, like clockwork, she called the Department of Building and Safety. And every year, we're sitting in the sukkah. The Department of Building and Safety comes with the fancy uniforms, and they say, "What is this? Do you have a permit?" My father says, "No, it's a Jewish holiday." Well, well, you can't build a structure without a permit. My father says, "I'm sorry, it's a Jewish holiday. We have to." He says, "I don't care." The guy says, "I give you seven days to remove it." My father said, "Yashikoyach, we'll do." That comes from this Rambam. Okay, Ches. I'm sorry. We're still finishing Zion. But if he joins the end of the beam to the wall with cement, with mortar, with cement, he immediately establishes his right. Because when the neighbor sees he's cementing stuff in, he sees that this isn't going anywhere. Now, how do we know that the neighbor didn't object? Maybe he was in Hawaii. Maybe he was out of town. Maybe he didn't see. He has to bring proof that his neighbor helped him. His neighbor was looking out the window, saw it. He has to use his, his smartphone to video the neighbor watching. You don't think the Rambam had a smartphone? Yeah. If he had Egyptian ladders, he must have had Egyptian smartphones. If somebody established a right to this wall by placing a beam there, and the guy has a right. My beam has been there since Abe Lincoln. It doesn't mean he has a right to put a second beam in. Because the non-objection was only for that one beam. You can't say, hey, I have the right of beams. When does this apply? 
If there was consensus that the wall does not belong to this fellow, they all agree it's the other guy's wall. The other guy allowed him to place a beam in his wall. And if he argued, the guy says, What are you talking about? It's, the wall is half mine. This is my wall as much as it's your wall. And that's his position. Being that he utilized it with one beam, and it's still there. He establishes right now, and he's believed to say, In his opinion, it's his wall. He can use the whole thing. But the other guy says, It's not, you're a liar. Obviously, when there's a challenge of this type, then he has to take a rabbinic oath to establish his position. So what if Ruben's beams were in the wall? And there's also space hollowed out on Shimon's side for him to place beams, which means, I guess, when they built the wall, they built spaces where each of the people on each side can have beams put in for structures. The fact that there is place for it, doesn't mean he has to have the right. Doesn't mean he can argue that he's a partner. He's not using it. And the first fellow can argue. Listen, it's my wall. I dug these places for beams on your side. In order they should be ready. I should keep them ready in case you want to come and buy half the wall. It'll be a better product because I already have your stuff in there. The holes. I should keep them ready. You can buy it from me. In, in, in uh, modern language, they talk about certain electrical stuff that people might want to put in their house. They say, I don't know, it doesn't fit my budget right now. But let's pre-wire it. So you put all the wiring there, or in plumbing, you put all the piping there, but you don't use it. That's what he says. I, I pre-wired it for you. I pre-piped it for you, meaning I put the holes in there so that it should be a better product. You should want to buy it. I want to be a good neighbor. You should come and ask me, and I'll forgive you. I'll say, okay. And then you'll be able to put in your beams. What have I accomplished? We won't destroy the wall. Like the guy says, why don't you pre-wire? Why don't you put the pipes in for plumbing in case you want to do it one day? You won't destroy the place. That's why the guy put it in. So that my wall will not be shaken at the time that you hollow out your holes. End of chapter 8. Rambam, Mishnah Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Shechenim neighbors. And in general, these laws are based and rooted in tractate Baba Basra, which talks all about neighbors and partners. And there is a whole section of Baba Basra, primarily chapter 2 and others, which talks about the damage that one neighbor can cause to the other and how far he has to remove that aspect of what he's doing that brings damage and whose responsibility is it to move? The one who's doing the damage or the one who's receiving the damage? So these are some of the sources of these laws. Aleph 1, very logical, practical issue. Can you dig a pit in the ground on the boundary of your neighbor, weakening his wall or his earth or what have you? You know, when you start digging, you affect the whole neighborhood. A person should not dig a cistern, a trench, or a storage vat. Various things that we contain water in, because again, the digging, this hole, will weaken the ground. Nor should he bring in an irrigation ditch. He should also not create a pool for soaking clothes. We have no idea how spoiled we are. We have washing machines. Back then, when you had to do laundry, it was a whole big uh, experience. And they used to have soaking pools, where they used to put soap in and soak, unless they went down to the river, which we learned earlier is not the most modest setting. So they used to set up washing pools. One should not set up his washing pool on the boundary of his neighbor, because the water will weaken the wall and the boundary. The minimum distance that somebody has to have from the wall separating between him and his neighbor are three handbreadths. Again, a handbreadth is like 3.15 inches, so we're talking about like 10 inches separation. Not that much, but it's still it's something. Now, for the above uses, in addition to moving it away three handbreadths, he should also seal it, place cement, or whatever sealant they use. Into this cistern or gathering of water, or the wall of the irrigation ditch, on his neighbor's side, because hopefully the cement or the sealant will keep the water damage away from the neighbor's wall. In order that the wall not the wall not absorb the water, the water will damage his neighbor's wall. One should as well create a distance of three handbreadths between gepes, olive debris, processing olives. You have the remnants of the olives after they're pressed for oil, which these are all stuff that contain chemicals. and tar, and salt, and lime, and flintstones, because the shachavere should also be moved. three handbreadths. or sod should be cemented, should be sealed. So here in this case. We have either or. Either move it three hand breaths or seal it, whereas earlier we said move it and seal it. So this is obviously not as bad as the water in the above paragraph one. Well, so as well, we distance Hazroim plants 
and the plow area of Esagumah, and a cesspool, which collects urine. All of these, again, contain chemicals, or plowing just weakens the whole earth, because you're digging up to three handbreadths. From the wall, all of the above should be moved away, three handbreadths minimum. Gimel as well, a millstone, should be placed at a distance of three handbreadths from the lower part of the millstone. You had the lower part, which is wider than the higher part. The lower part was four handbreadths, and the higher, I'm sorry, the lower part requires three handbreadths, the higher part will then get four handbreadths, because the higher part was narrower. In order that the millstone will not cause tremors to the wall. If this mill is constantly running, the wall is going to weaken. Or another issue is that the mill is going to scare and frighten the neighbor or drive him crazy with the noise. So you don't want to set up a noise system on the wall. You should move away at least three handbreadths. As well, when we have an oven generating heat, we should move it away from the wall. Three handbreadths from the base, which is four, from the edge, because we don't want the wall to get overheated, because the heat will harm the wall and weaken its stability. Hey, heaven, shakavis, makib begod. I'm sorry, dalit. No, we learned dalit. Hey, heaven, shakavis, makib begod. You have a stone used by a launderer to beat garments until they become white. They used to beat it with a stone until all the schmutz came out and it became white. Today, uh, unless we're environmentally conscientious, we use bleach. This also has to be moved four cubits. This is, this is serious distance, about six feet from the wall of his fellow, because as the launderer is beating the clothing, the water sprays and will damage the wall. Ultimately, unless you're four cubits or six feet away, that wall is going to become damaged from all these chemicals that's used for laundry. They use all kinds of detergents, as we learned. Similarly speaking, we know that a very powerful chemical component is urine, human urine. A person should not urinate near the wall of his neighbor, unless he moves three hand breaths away. When does this apply? A wall of bricks which are very sensitive bricks in general. In Allah, bricks refer to man-made items. So they're more temperamental, but natural stones, it's enough one hand But if it was sort of like the marble we have today, which is more of a smooth finished stone, it's not a problem. This can happen. The urine can be placed as close as one needs to. There's no distancing required. So we have the largest distances with bricks, mediocre distances with stone, and marble doesn't require any distance. Zayin, now we come to a situation where you have a ladder which somebody uses to access his wall. You should put the ladder at a distance, away from a dovecote, where doves are, Arba'am is four cubits. Why? Because we don't want the ladder to be used by harmful animals that will climb up the ladder. He speaks specifically about an animal called a marten, M-A-R-T-E-N, a small carnivorous animal, which can wreak havoc on doves. And it'll use the ladder to access it. The of the and will ascend up the dovecote and have lunch and eat the doves. One should remove, move away his wall from a drain pipe belonging to his neighbor. This is the issue in Mishnah and Gemara. Who moves what? Should you move the drain pipe away from the wall or should you move the wall away from the drain pipe? Here, we want the owner of the drain pipe to be able to stack up a ladder to fix his gutters and his drains. Because as we learned earlier, he established the right to use it. He needs access to it. Now comes a situation where Tess, Ruben, Mr. A, Ruben, had a wall adjacent to a wall of Mr. B, perpendicular, like the Greek letter gamma, or like an inverted L. And if we need a producer here so I can zoom in here. Reuben comes and he wants to create a second wall opposite that wall, so he's going to create a letter Bez. It's going to turn out to be like the Hebrew letter Bez. Here's the L. We can zoom in and show the L. More and more. Zoom. Zoom. Golly, golly, golly. Maybe if everybody sings, it'll work. Ah! A little more. So there is the inverted L, and the idea is that he wants to build another wall coming down, so it'll be like a three-quarters box or a Hebrew letter Bez. Thank you. Harishim and Akabal of Shimon could prevent him from doing so. Why? Actually, he can say, put your wall at least four cubits away from my wall. Why? Because the space in between is my space. I need a wide space. Why? Because I need people to be able to walk on this. Because when people walk on soil, the soil hardens. But if the soil is not walked on, it'll be very delicate and very soft, and my soil will ultimately be useless. Therefore, he says, I need a wider space. When does this The wall of a garden. The wall of a courtyard. In a new city. Why? Because when you have a new city, everything is fresh. And the soil has not hardened yet. 
in an old established city, the soil has already become hardened. He builds opposite it, without distance. And commentaries explain what is the Talmudic definition of new city or old city. The definition is 50 years old. A city that's less than 50 years old is a new city. A city that's more than 50 years old is an old city. By the way, I used to think that 50 years was a long time. 50 years. So also, if he didn't have it, the length of Shimon's wall. For Amish, in Amarach, he doesn't cause a distance of Apishim in the Aragam even though he will prevent people from walking there. Because a wall that is less than four cubits, and it's all a doesn't need to have the earth near its strength because it's insignificant. Somebody comes to dig a pit to a cistern at the end of his property line, bordering on the neighbor's property line. So now the question is if I'm going to dig a cistern, and you're going to dig a cistern, the, 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 the earth may not hold up. If the neighbor's field is not made for cisterns, which means it has natural water, so you don't need cistern water. He can do it as close to the neighbor as he wishes to. And one cannot object to the other. Why? I can put my cistern in because you don't have any cisterns. And your land most likely will not, lead any, you will not need any cisterns. One day the neighbor will decide that he also needs a cistern. He has to move three handbreadths away from the wall of the cistern. Because if they both move three handbreadths away, three plus three will be six. will be six handbreadths. Again, 3.15 inches, about 20 inches. So 20 inches or so is enough of solid ground to be able to dig a foot and a half to be able to dig a cistern, a foot and a half, another cistern. But if his neighbor's field had cisterns dug in it, and he's coming to dig a cistern on the property line, and he's saying that he should not do so, until he moves at least three handbreadths away, and when the neighbor does it, he should do the same. In his field, so the, the rule of thumb is you move three handbreadths away from the property line. Now comes a similar law, two, two story house, bottom, bottom floor and top floor. Habayah is the house, and the loft, the second story. Shoshnayim with two separate owners. One guy owns the first floor, the other guy owns the second floor. Now what's going to happen is the guy on the first floor wants to install an old-fashioned stove. The old-fashioned stove generated a ton of heat. They say he should not create a stove in his house. In many cases, the stoves would be outside the house. Here you're going to put a stove in the house. Okay. You better make sure you have four cubits above the stove. What's four cubits? Six feet. If you don't have airspace of four cubits above the stove, you're going to burn the house down. Today, there are very strong rules as to what you need on top of a stove. You need an exhaust fan, you need metal settings, and so on and so forth. You don't want to burn the house down. So also the guy on the second floor should not establish a stove, which is very heavy. It shouldn't come crashing down through the ceiling. There has to be a reinforced ceiling at three, at least three handbreadths thick. Again, a handbreadth is three and a quarter, 3.15 inches. So that's not a nine-inch, ten-inch ceiling. Or be with a smaller stove, at least one handbreadth. That is if it is a residential stove. If it's a baker's stove, bakers obviously have what we call today commercial. If it's a commercial stove, there has to be underneath it four handbreadths of solid floor. Which is a smaller stove of a baker. Three handbreadths. Even though he moved away the distance. What if fire came from this oven or stove or hearth and caused damage? The place caught on fire. The guy's responsible to pay. He can't say, hey, what do you want from me? I studied the halacha. I moved away. You can move from today to tomorrow. Your stove causes fire. You're responsible. As we'll talk, and as we have talked, we will talk in the laws. And there's a special section of laws called Hilches Niske Momain. The laws where somebody's money causes damage, and this is the equivalent of somebody's object causing damage. In this case, it's fire. So, the person's obviously responsible. Twelve. Here comes a mixed-use situation. You know, there is residential, there is commercial, and he has here mixed-use. Somebody had a store, which is commercial use, under a warehouse of his friends. You have a warehouse on top, and a store on the bottom. It's my store. Can I do what I want to? Not exactly. Do not create a bakery, because a bakery generates a huge amount of heat. Relate Sabo and do not create a paint factory because of the chemical or toxic chemicals. Relate Akas Bokar, do not create a barn for cattle for a whole bunch of reasons. Furthermore, Relate Sham Aspasto, and do not bring in there Aspasto, like hay or other substances, which produce tremendous hot air or warm air because the neighbor doesn't need your hot air or your warm air. 
Remember, your upstairs neighbor has a storage facility there where he stores produce, your chemicals, your toxic stuff. Your hot stuff is going to damage his produce. You have to be sensitive to your neighbor. And again, it's important to know who comes first. Who's on first? Therefore, for example, if he has a storehouse of wine in Israel, Israel has very strong wine back then in those days. And therefore, heat happened to improve the flavor of the wine and not harm it. That was what it was then. In this case, where what he stores there is affected positively by heat, then generate as much heat as you want. Nevertheless, don't create a barn. Because creating a barn, that aroma is going to spoil the taste of the wine. Ultimately, it's going to go in there. Because it causes, the, it, causes it, it ruins the aroma. But if the store was there first, and the bakery was there first, and the, the, the barn came first, he had precedent. Then the guy in the loft wanted to. So the guy in the loft says, you know what? I'm going to create the storage house here. So you better remove your barn. That's well, not so simple. My barn was here before you. And the he cannot prevent him. Now comes a question of beating the system in the closing paragraph of this chapter. What if the owner of the second story started cleaning out, sweeping out his premises? And he sprinkled water back then. The earth, the, the floors very often were like soil, dirt. So first you got to sweep the hard earth, then you sprinkle water so that dust does not accumulate. Or, alternatively, he built in a lot of windows for light and air and so on. They lost his base in order to make his storehouse. So it's clear that the guy on the second floor is planning to store produce. They called him Zell. Along comes the guy on the first floor. He goes, chick-chock. I got to beat the guy on the second floor. He also talks and he sticks in his oven. Before the guy brings in his produce. So my stove and my oven beat your storehouse. But I saw what you were doing. Or the guy began to store sesame seeds, pomegranates, dates, and so on. Different types of produce that will not be damaged by heat. That was the beginning. So the guy said, oh yeah, I see what's going on here. Pretty soon he's going to bring in sensitive produce. We call them So the guy put in his stove, before he put in wheat and other sensitive issues. So again, we're talking about beating the system. Or, alternatively, the owner of the store built a loft on top of the store to separate between the store and the warehouse to give him some insulation. The guy of the warehouse can stop the other guy because it was clear what's going on here. He's clearly preparing his warehouse. The guy on the first floor put in his oven stove anyway. He didn't listen. In this case, it can't forcibly be removed. This is one of those unresolved, unmoved questions. End of chapter 9.